By the way, I think Mrs. Edwards goes to our church, right? Yeah, she must. Y'all didn't see that coming, did you? Yeah, uh uh-huh. The whole point is people want fellowship. They want... um, they want to connect with folks, and so if you'll, if you'll just look for people to invite, you never know who God is going to bring to the church through you. And so that's, that's the point, it, especially this holiday season when it's not a good time for a lot of folks they need uh, to connect with other people in the church and in the family of God. And so be sure and invite folks um, this holiday season. A couple of quick announcements. We do have small groups tonight. I'm so pumped about our discussion. We meet in here at five o'clock, uh, five o'clock on Sunday nights. My group does. Tonight, the food is appetizers, whatever you want to bring. That's what we'll share. We're talking about, in my group, we're talking about God and the attributes of God. And we talked about him being father last time. And, and I'm, I'm I'm pumped. I look forward to our discussions because it's just so, I leave here filled. Uh, everybody that comes does the same way. We've got the, the marriage series that's going on, Love and Respect. We've got the, we're finishing up the, the spiritual gifts one as well. So if you want to come, join us tonight. Um, this Saturday, we're having a work day. We're trying to get ready for our Christmas celebration. So at nine o'clock, we're going to have breakfast. We'll go out and we'll work. We'll get the, the pond cleared up and we'll pull out all the lights and make sure that they all work and all of those types of things. Two weeks from Saturday, then we're going to hang the lights. We're going to hang the main ones. We, last year, um, George pushed me around in a bucket on a tractor and I, I put some, some hooks in there so we can do that. Tall ones, we can do that on Saturday. We won't do all the rest of the lights on the house and all the other decorations until um, the 2nd of December. Now, um, you need to understand, we try to get a little bit bigger and a little, little better every year. Uh, the Washburns, well, two of them, Rachel and Janie, decided to uh, make a Texas flag that I think it's, I don't remember, it's six by 10. I don't know, because everybody at Christmas, nothing says I love Jesus like a big old lighted Texas flag, Christmas light flag. Um, so that's going to be down there. And uh, she made a cactus, because again, nothing says I love Jesus like a cactus. Uh, so anyway, we're going to have some stuff down there and, and we're going to have a good time. Now on the 17th, that's a Sunday at 5 p.m. that night is our Christmas celebration. We'll come in here. It'll be family friendly. So there won't be any childcare. Everybody will come in here. We'll have some songs. We'll have some videos. We'll have some, uh, a message that is, that is kid friendly. And then we're going to dismiss and go out into the, to the living room. That's what we call a living room out there. And, and if you want to be a part of the contest, you have to bring a star. I don't care what your star looks like. You can make a star. You get extra credit if you make a star. You can buy a star. It can be a small star. It can be a big star, whatever. But that's, that's the first requirement to get into the contest. The winner of the contest gets a hundred dollar gift card to Walmart and then a $50 gift card for second and 25 for third. And it's, it's going to be fun. I'm telling you, it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll have a hayride through the lights. We'll have a bonfire and we'll have hot chocolate and, and s'mores. And it's just a fun time. And, uh, we're going to be celebrating, uh, Christmas on the 17th of December. Um, December 3rd, thank you all to everybody who's been supporting our first Sunday ministry meals. We, we're raising money to go back to Haiti. Um, this will be my 11th time to go into the country, and um, I just look forward to it every year. And so a lot of you have been buying food on the first Sunday. It'll be baked potatoes this next time and all big honking baked potatoes, not the little new potatoes. We're talking big honking baked potatoes. Uh, and then uh, you'll see the rest of that stuff there. Okay. Now, we're in this series in the meantime, and, and so as I was thinking about today, I, I, uh, I thought about this, and somebody tell me what, uh, what, can you tell what I have on my finger here? It's a thimble. Janie looked at this, and she goes, oh, that's a small thimble. Can I have it? Because I didn't even know there were sizes. I, I knew what thimble was, but I didn't know there were sizes. She said, oh, yeah, it's small. I want it. And I said, okay, you can have it. Now, let's say that next Sunday, we are going to baptize 
And, and it normally takes me, when I run the water hose down here and I put it in there, I, didn't, I haven't put a stopwatch on it, it normally takes me eight to 10 minutes to fill up the baptistry with water. And I ask you to fill up the baptistry, but I want you to do it one thimble at a time. How many are going to volunteer for that job besides Travis? Travis said he'd do it because he gets paid by the hour. That's the only reason he would do it. So you can't do that. How many of you would want that job? I'm going to fill up that baptistry with, with a thimble. And, and I'll even bring the hose down here, but you can only fill up one little thing and walk in and pour it in. Anyone? No. Okay. Well, <clears throat> we used to have a swimming pool used to because when we got the swimming pool, it's a 16 by 31. I don't remember. It's an oval, but my brother gave it to us years ago and we had it for 10, 12 years. I don't know. So it was used. We don't even know how old it was when we got it and it was kind of rusty and we set it up. And, and so one night this was dark and it was, I don't even remember when this was a couple years ago. I'm sitting in my chair at night and I'm watching TV and all of a sudden I hear this. I mean, it was, it was bizarre. And Janie's out in the game room and she comes in, she goes, did you hear that? And I said, yeah. So it's dark, it's cold and dark outside. So I get my flashlight and I go and I look, we call it the side yard. So my, my house is here and the swimming pool is down here. So we call that our side yard. I look out and I'm doing the flashlight. My dogs are okay. They're kind of freaked out, you know? And, and I look out there and all of a sudden I see the great flood because one end of the, of the swimming pool had just collapsed. And it was, I mean, it's rushed out and it was, it looked like, what the landscape would, you know, miniature scale, but what it would look like after the great flood. So I went, wow, just the whole end of the pool fell out. Now let's say I get a new pool and I say, I'd like for you to fill that swimming pool because this takes days to fill this swimming pool with a thimble. How many are you going to do that? Let's say that I want some ocean water and, and I decide that I'm going to ask you to go down to Galveston and get me a thimble full of ocean water. And somebody says, I'll do it, I'll go do it. And you go down there and you get it. And you come back and you go, man, this is special. Here you go. And you go, there's even a fish in there. I'm going, really? It's a big one. How big can it be? Right? No, nobody, nobody's volunteering for this, right? What if I told you that in the scheme of eternity... This thimble represents your life and how long you get to live in this body on this planet called earth, right? So, so in, in the scheme of eternity, we can't even grasp how big eternity is. In the scheme of eternity, this is how much time you have. Hmm. Um, what if I told you that, okay, I've got different sizes here. What if, what if this thimble, let's say 20 years, Let's say this medium-sized, again, I didn't even know they had different sizes, this medium-sized thimble, what if that's, we'll say less than 20 years, this one's 50 years, so I'm 53, so I get to be the middle size. My dad was 91 when he passed away, dad gets to be the, the, the large-sized symbol, 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 <laughs> either one, um, and, and from where you are, can you tell significant amount of difference in, in the sizes? And you're looking from the side, Right? You can't tell much difference. What if you were to look from the top? What if they were all right here and you're looking down? Can you tell which one's bigger than the other? No. God's perspective is he's looking down from the top. From, from God's perspective, when he sees all of eternity, the ocean, and he sees your life at the same time, your, your less than 20 years is not a big deal to God because he's looking from the top. Your 50 years, that's not, that's not significantly different than the 20 years because God's looking from a different perspective. The 91 years, that is insignificant compared to eternity, compared to God's perspective. 
the half-brother of Jesus, I'm going to talk more about James next week. Y'all need to come back for that. But the half-brother of Jesus, the dude who grew up with Jesus, who was a doubter, was not a follower of Jesus until the resurrection. He wrote something about your life. And, And here's what he said in James 4, 14. B is the second half. He said, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So the, the, the message from Jesus' half-brother who became a follower after Jesus resurrected from the dead is every life is a mist. It doesn't matter if you're 20 years, 50 years, 90 years. Methuselah in the Old Testament is 969 years. That's still a thimble. It's still a mist. Every life is a mist, no matter how long compared to God. If your lifespan is a thimble full, all right, if this represents it, we'll even take the big one. This represents your life, how long you're on this earth. If, you're, if this represents your life, how small compared to eternity are the problems and the pain and the suffering in this thimble? I'm not saying that they're insignificant to you. I'm saying in the scope of eternity. I'm having trouble today. Somebody better, well, anyway. How small, how tiny are your problems compared to eternity? They're incredibly small and they're incredibly short. Now, the problem is we we don't have that perspective and so we compare ours to someone else. Oh, mine is so much more than yours. You don't even know, nobody knows. The troubles I've seen, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. Where is that coming from? If I know, I know, but I'm like, where, why do I have that? Why is it there? If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, yeah, okay. I'm old, I'm old, I'm old. I got a, long, a big, big thimble. Sorry to say symbol. I'm having trouble. We may compare it to somebody else's problems, but in the scheme of eternity, our problems are small and insignificant. That's why Paul, who went through way more problems, you do not want to compare your, your problems with Paul's. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses, verse, uh, chapter, two chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. Dude, I don't know what happened. My brain is gone. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. He's saying your thimble was created to disappear. Your cr- thimble was created to be temporary. Though outwardly, your thimble, we're wasting away. Look what he says next. Um, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. He's saying what's, what's important is not the outside, not the skin and bones, not this body, not this vessel. What's important is what goes on the inside. We are being renewed. Our inside, our emotions, our spirits are being renewed day by day. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. And look what he says, for our light and momentary troubles. He's saying they can't help but be light and momentary if they're contained in something this small. Your life is this small compared to God. They're light and temporary. They're achieving for us something you don't even see, an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes. This fix our eyes means I gaze at, I refuse to take my eyes off of. This summer, Caleb calls me and he says, hey, dad, would you start playing golf with me once a month? And I said, sure. I mean, dude, I haven't played since before he was born because golf is expensive. And then babies are expensive and then baby girls are even more expensive than baby boys and so I haven't played in in like 20 years so we went and played a few uh September was the first time we played and I had not picked up a golf club other than top golf which is not golf um it's just fun I had not picked up a golf club and we went out and if there was a tree and there were trees I hit them I could, I could aim this way and the tree's over there. Bam, I'm hitting that tree. And I, it didn't matter. And I'm just like, dude. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. The first four or five holes, I would hit a tree and my ball would bounce out into the fairway. And he goes, how do you keep doing that? 
I said, dude, it's prayer life. It's prayer life. No, it's not. It's not. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. God does not care where my golf ball goes. I'm convinced of that, right? So anyway, we were playing golf and I was just horrible and, and he was pretty good and, and he's loving every minute of it because he's just drilling me, he's killing me, you know, and I don't care. I'm just hanging out with my son. So I decided I'm going to start playing some more. And, and so I've been practicing. I go out and hit a bucket of balls and I go out to golf, uh, Wildcat golf course. And so Friday I'm out there by myself. Nobody else is around and I'm out there. And, and uh, so I, I actually shot a legitimate 100, which for me, that's good. Par is 72. I shot 28 over par, but I'll take it right? That was good. So what I told Janie and, and, and Rachel is a few weeks ago, I went out and played and I shot probably a 132. I don't know. It was crazy. And so I said, here's the deal. I, I hit four spectacular shots out of 132 or whatever, 110. I don't remember what it was. I'm less than 4%, but man, those 4% were good. So this time I hit 10 shots. I'm up to 10% of my shots are awesome. 90% suck, but that's, that's, we'll work on this. So here's what happened. So I get to, uh, this was the 10th hole and I get up there. Nobody's around. It's a spectacular day. And I hit, I hit a great drive. I'm not, I'm not making it up guys. Cause I said, God, you saw that. Right. And so I hit it and it lands in the middle of the fairway. I did. I would like to say I meant to, it was totally accident, but when you hit it and you go, yeah, and it lands and I'm about, I don't remember 20 to 40 yards from the hole. The problem is there's this massive <laughs> creek like 20, 25 feet deep. And so I'm thinking, I'm going to par. I mean, because to me, par is great. I'm not even worried about birdieing. Par, even bogey. I'll take a bogey. That's one over. So I'm, I'm sitting here, and all of a sudden, the guy mowing the grass comes up. And he's mowing the grass. And I said, just keep on mowing, because I didn't, I didn't want to do this in front of anybody. And he stops, like right here. <laughs> and I went, <sighs> so I go up, and I'm telling myself, Keep your head still. Keep your head still. And I come back and I go, and that ball goes right in the middle of the canyon. And because I'm so bad, I have another golf ball in my pocket at all times. I throw it out, looked at him, keep your head still. Golf is an expensive sport. And I looked at him, and I did. I just went. And then, without even thinking, I threw another ball down, and I didn't even think. I hit it. It went over, and I thought, oh, my gosh. I know to keep my head still. This is the basic rule in golf, whether you're putting, whether you're hitting a drive, whether you're hitting an iron. You keep your head still. You focus. In fact, you're not even supposed to pull your head up until the ball is gone. So when you swing, your head should still be there, and then you look up. Here's the problem with us is when we have problems, we do not fix our eyes on Jesus. We look away and we fix our eyes on our problem. And that's why we're depressed. That's why we turn our backs on God. So look what he says. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, problems, canyon for a golf ball. It's a golf ball eater. But on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Fix your eyes. So I said this last week, and I'm, I'm bringing this back. You need to gaze at God. In the meantime, when you're going through difficult times, gaze at God, glance at life. We get it backwards. We gaze at life and we glance at God. And sometimes we don't even spend any time glancing at God. Is it any wonder we don't have his perspective? When sorrow and pain enter your life, because it's going to enter your life, it's just going to happen. Jesus said it was going to happen. Then you fix your eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. 
and, and you're going to understand this in a minute, but, but hang on, don't get upset yet. You can get upset later. In God's plan, every life is long enough and every death is timely. Here's what I mean. To God, every life is short. Whether it's, whether it's the, the fourth child we lost in the womb or whether it's my 91-year-old father, every, from God's perspective, everyone, every death, every life is long enough, every death is timely. You see, ironically, the first people to accept God's timing in death are the people who die. It's the people who are left behind that we're mourning while they're marveling heaven. I'm convinced my mom, my dad, my sister walked into heaven together, streets of gold together, and I'm kind of jealous of that because I think it was spectacular what they saw. I pushed my dad around in a wheelchair for the last several years because dad just couldn't stand up straight. What would it have been like? I'm so jealous of sis getting to see dad standing up with his new body, walking in to praise his savior. Oh, that's what got me through. In fact, I preached the funeral. I do to this day, I've not listened to it. People said I did a good job. I don't even know what I said because I was just in another realm looking at my heavenly father telling people what I felt like he was telling me to say. And what got me through was looking at God and saying, okay, God, if this word is true, mom and dad and sis, they're dancing and praising Jesus. And I'm gonna hold on to that even though, even though I wish they had more time on this earth. Even though I don't understand I'm going to hold on to what you say and I'm going to trust God that you're in charge even though I'm not. When we're questioning God, they're praising God and this is, this is significant because in just the last few months, we've seen incredible pain and sorrow in our world. End of August, major hurricane. Beginning of September, major hurricane. October 1st, Janie and I were about to get on a cruise ship and I, I had gone to Walmart and I came back and I saw the news and I thought, oh dear God, 57 people are dead in Las Vegas? What happened? I run upstairs. That was down. I was getting coffee, and I run upstairs, and Janie had already seen it. And we're going, what is going on in our world when people are going to a country western concert, and they end up dead? And then on October 1st, I mean, on October 31st, some crazy terrorist gets in a truck and goes down the bicycle lane in New York City. People thought they were riding their bikes for the day, and they end up dead. And last Sunday, November 5th, I got up from my nap and I'm scrolling through and I said, oh dear God, people thought they were going to church to worship and then they worshiped as they never had before. One of their church members said on national TV, I think it's kind of cool in the midst of this tragedy to think about 26 of my church family walking into heaven together. Wow. Here's the point. Evil is real. We don't get a pass just because we're Christians. We live in mean times. Evil people do evil things. And I've never heard a murderer say, oh, you're a Christian. You're free to go. Not once have I heard of a terrorist going, you go to New Life Community Church? So do I, which I, I kind of joke about that, but some of y'all are crazy <laughs> that come to this church. Not just Mrs. Edwards, some of y'all are nuts. I've never heard a terrorist go, oh, oh, you, take off. 
bloodthirsty, evil people do not care who they kill. So here's the point. I want you to understand this. As Christians, we are not insulated from evil. Jesus wasn't. Why do you think you will be? But neither are we intimidated. And I want to go to the words of Jesus at a time like this. I want you to see what Jesus said about evil people who do evil things in this world. Look what he says, Matthew 10, 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In case you don't know that is, that's God. And in a minute, you're going to see an instance where demons recognize the one who could, who could destroy them, and they bowed in worship. They obeyed. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body. Jesus' disciples needed this because they lived, terrorism in their time was probably more real than it is in our time because if you said Jesus is Lord, Nero, who said Nero is Lord and demanded that other people say Nero is Lord, if you said Jesus is Lord, he might just take you and hang you up on a cross to light his garden party. He did that regularly. One time they, they nailed 2,000 people on crosses outside a city and the message was do not mess with Rome. If you mess with Rome, this is what we're gonna do to you. If you dare claim somebody else other than Nero is Lord, this is what we're going to do to you. Here's what Jesus said to them. He told them to expect scourging, trials, death, hatred, persecution. That's not really the kind of locker room pep talk that you want to give to somebody if you want a whole bunch of people lining up for your cause. Hey, going to suffer. You want to sign up? Unless... The point of your life is not this life. Unless the point of this life is to get to eternity and to point people in this life towards Jesus. To their credit, even though Jesus talked like this, other than Judas, and Jesus knew Judas was going to betray him, other than that, not a one of his disciples deserted him during difficult times. And I think it's because... They saw him rise from the dead. Judas didn't wait for Sunday. Judas killed himself before Jesus rose from the dead. The rest of them, when Jesus rose from the dead, it changed them. Because, see, they were hiding in fear. They thought, oh, our leader's gone. We're next. So they're hiding in fear. And, and when a formerly dead guy walks inside the room, they were meeting in an upper room with the door locked, the Bible says. When a formerly dead guy comes through a locked door and goes, hey, guys, what's up? Oh, it's me. I'm up. It's supposed to be a dad joke. Y'all need to get that. Jesus didn't say that. That's my interpretation. That's what I, hey, what's up? I am. I don't think Jesus said that. Seeing a dead man walking changed them from cowards into people who would face anything. Trials, tribulations, persecutions, death, nakedness, famine. They went through it all. Now, earlier in his ministry, Jesus had shown them some, a lot of object lessons, but I want to show you specifically one. And this says that he takes him to the other side of the lake. It's, it's the Sea of Galilee or Lake Gennesaret, depending on which translation you use. Look what it says in Matthew 8, 28 and 29. Jesus took them to the other side of the lake into the country of the Gadarenes, where two men who were demon-possessed met him as they were coming out of the tombs. They were so exceedingly violent that no one could pass by that road. And behold, they cried out saying, what do we have to do with you, son of God? They recognized him immediately. They knew who he was. Have you come to torment us before this time? We're going to see a different translation in a minute, but I highlighted torment. They knew something bad about to happen when they met Jesus. 
Now, because these two crazy, violent, demon-possessed men lived in the cemetery, I know some of you don't go to cemeteries. When I was at Baylor, that, there were people that went and studied at the cemetery because it was very quiet. I always thought that was a little weird. They didn't do it at night, but they would go during the day because it was really quiet and they would hang out at the cemetery. But this says these guys were so nuts that, that normal people would not walk by the road that went by the cemetery. But Jesus wasn't normal, was he? Jesus walked in like he owned the place because he did. The Bible says that all things were created by Jesus for Jesus. He walks into this cemetery like he owns it because he does. The demons saw him. They recognize him. Oh, no, here comes the owner. And they don't even put up a fight because they'd already lost to him before. And they thought there's no reason to fight this dude now. So they're, they're stuttering. They're back, backpedaling. And look what they say. Have you come to punish us before our time? This is big. I, I wanted you to see this different translation. Torment and the other one, punishment here. Have you come to punish us before our time? Here's the translation. Uh, 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 oh, no. <laughs> we know what happens in the end. And we know you're the one who's going to do it to us in the end. Because the Bible says in the end, they're all going to be destroyed. Oh, the destroyer. I mean, we call him Lord. They call him destroyer. Have you come to punish us before the end? Do we get double trouble? In the meantime, Jesus, even the demons want to know what to do in the meantime. In the meantime, are you really going to send us? Are we, we're going to be snuffed out. They showed how pathetically weak they were when they begged. They said, please send us into those pigs. For whatever reason, we don't know why, Jesus said, Go. There was, no, there was no dancing, there was no screaming, there was no blood, there was no uh, incantations and music and maracas. Jesus said, go. And the demons obeyed him and they left. They went into the pigs and the pigs jump off the cliff. It's a crazy story. You see, as Christians, we can, we can trace the source of violence back to the devil. When there is, when there is evil and bloodshed in the world, we can we can trace it to the one whose days are numbered. We just saw his, his, his own followers said, our days are numbered. His name is Satan. And when evil time comes, our hope is in the one who overcame the grave. So in the midst of evil times, we look at Jesus and we take courage from him. Let me just tell you a couple things about courage. Courage comes not from increased police security, but from deeper spiritual maturity. Now, we're, we're going to have the police department come here and we're going to do a, a seminar on what to do uh, in shooting situations. We have a lot of people who carry guns. We have a license. In fact, we've hosted four different license to carry uh, classes and we're going to have another one sometime in the future. And, and in Texas, you can carry weapons. If you have a license, we welcome you to carry that, that weapon. Um, but what we're saying is we're looking at Jesus and Jesus said, don't, don't get worried about people who can kill the body. We're going to be wise about it, but we're not going to be intimidated. People of courage keep a cool head. When people lose their, their when, when they are afraid, they do and say dumb things and they make matters worse. But people of courage, courageous people are not blind to nor be bewildered by evil in the world. We understand. We're not blind to, we're not bewildered. There's evil. We understand this. But let me, let me give you a great example of the right mindset if you're a follower of Jesus. Martin Luther King is, is this example. I read this in a devotional this week. And let me just read it to you. 
Martin Luther King, he chose not to fear those who meant him harm. On April 3rd, 1968, he spent hours in a plane waiting on a tarmac due to bomb threats. When he arrived in Memphis later that day, he was tired and hungry, but not afraid. We've got some difficult days ahead, he told the crowd, but it doesn't matter to me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land and I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Less than 24 hours later, he was dead. The men who sought to shut him up failed. They took his body. They did not take his soul. They didn't take his courage. And quite honestly, I don't even know the names of the men who, who plotted. But I know this man and I respect this man because in the midst of bomb threats, I'm not worried. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Wow. You see, evildoers have less chance of hurting you if you're not already a victim in your mind. Look what the proverb says. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but to trust the Lord means safety. And I looked this up. I, I highlighted the word Lord. It's all capital letters. Every translation I could find, it was all capital letters. This means the big guy. This means the one who's in charge. This is the name that they wouldn't say out loud for fear of taking God's name in vain. He says, we're not going to fear evil people. We're going to trust God. You see, real courage says there's more that's happening in the world than what's going on in this little universe. I'm going to trust God. I'm, I may be wild-eyed, but I'm not going to be crazy. I may be... I may be fearful, but I'm not going to be terrified by the terrifying people. I'll be the calmest kid on the block, not because there's not bullies and there's not evil in the world, but because I know God and he's overcome the grave. Jesus overcame death and he said that was, that was our greatest enemy, sin and death, and he's overcome them. So why should I be afraid in this life? See, the, the, the people of the Old Testament knew this. Paul, uh, David says this in Psalm 27.3. Though a host encamps against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Was David ever surrounded by evil people? One of them was the first king, Saul, and his troops surrounded him. He was also surrounded by his evil son who tried to overthrow him one time. So when he says, I'm not going to be afraid, I'm going to trust the Lord, he, he's a guy we can listen to. Look what he says a few chapters later in, in Psalm 37, 7. Be still, not in your house, not in a cave, not in a hole in the ground. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about the evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Focus on God. Stop looking at all the evil thimbles surrounding you. Oh, no. They're so mean. No, I... I Yes, I'm, I'm trying to get the point across to you. If you catch a glimpse of God, how ludicrous it is to whine about what's in here. And when you whine about what's in here, it means you've taken your eye off of God. There's just no other way around it. The Old Testament writers are telling us to pay attention to where we're focused because the Old Testament writers knew that whatever captures your attention, if you, if you allow it to capture your attention, your mind, your body follows. It goes to whatever you look at. 
So when you're going down the path of life and, and you, you glance over there and you go, oh, nope. When, oh, I just remembered this. We were at, uh, what is that mall? Grapevine Mills Mall. We were there one time when the kids were little and uh, we were going by. Well, actually, Janie was, I was somewhere else. I was in a sports store. Janie and the girls were walking along and there was one of those um, Calvin Klein. I don't know. There was, some, there was some ad and some dude standing there with his shirt off, you know, and he's all ripped and chiseled. And I don't know if it's Hannah or Rachel. Which one of y'all was it? One of them goes, shield your eyes, shield your eyes. And I was like, yes, keep doing it, keep doing it. She went to look at Sam Houston uh, the other day for a visit, and I said, do not make eye contact with a college boy. Shield your eyes. When you're going through a difficult time, it is real important to shield your eyes. Satan will throw stuff around you to try to capture your attention because he knows if he can get your attention and you don't have a warning light going off and and you get your attention back on God, he knows it's just a short amount of time. It is a short amount of time and you hop away from God and you hop away from godly people and you hop away from the word of God and before you know it, you're way out here in the wilderness and there's, there's only a couple of reasons to be in the wilderness. Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted, to be tested, to prove himself at the beginning of his ministry. So the, re, the, the only reason to be in the, in the wilderness is either you're led there by the Holy Spirit or you hopped away from God and everybody else. It's your choice. And you got to decide what you're going to do at that point. The Old Testament writer said, keep your gaze on God. Jesus, ah, I love how he teaches. Jesus gives us the same message. I want to show you this in John chapter nine, verses one and two. As he, Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? The disciples look at this difficult situation. They go, hey, somebody, somebody jacked him up. Did he jack himself up or did mom and dad jack him up by their choices? Somebody had to sin. This, there's a cause, Jesus, what's going on here? The guy is right there. He, he's blind. He's not deaf. I think Jesus is going, I'm so sorry. I can't take these guys anywhere. They're like infants. Jesus, somebody's messed up. Who is it? And look what Jesus says. Neither. Jesus, you're always doing this. We ask you a question. You don't answer the question we give you. We said, who was it? You said, neither. You're not answering my question. And Jesus is saying, my answer is not wrong. Your question is wrong. Because you're focused on the wrong thing. You ask the wrong questions, you'll get the wrong answers. Neither. Look what he says. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened. He's going to tell them why. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In the meantime, God is about to display his power in this blind man's life. He may be 20, 30, 40, 50 years old and God's about to show up and do something great. And I think the disciples are going, it's about stinking time. How dare you, God, take so long, the thimble says to the ocean. How dare you? I know, but God, you're not doing it right because I have all knowledge wrapped up in my little life. How dare you not do it my way? (laughs) 
in the story, in the scripture, Jesus then heals the guy. And I'm not even going to read to you about the miracle because the miracle is not the, the point of the story. The point of the story is not the miracle. Let me say this again. I'm not going to read Jesus healing because the miracle is not the point of the story. I want you to say that. The miracle is not the point of the story. You got to get this because if the point of the story is the miracle, how do you explain when Jesus tells you no? Jesus healed this guy. Why didn't he heal everybody? How do you explain to somebody who, who I, I've watched people die of leukemia. I watched a guy shrivel up and die over about six months and he was one of the most joyful people I ever met in my life. He was ministering to me when I would go to see him in the hospital room. But what if he had said, how can a good God allow this? What do you, what do you say if this is your total perspective? You can say something if that's not your perspective, but if this is your total perspective, what do you say? The point of the story is not the miracle because how do, you, how do you explain unanswered prayer? Actually, it's answered, it's a no, and we don't get that because we don't like to hear no and we're act like children ourselves. How dare you tell me no, God? The point of the story is the conversation that happens before the miracle. So here it is. The point of the story is the misunderstanding of pain and suffering in this world, and it's rampant. It's epidemic. I want you to notice where the disciples were focused. The disciples were focused on blame. Let's blame somebody for this. Jesus was focused on displaying God's power, God's glory. See, two, two different opposite focuses. Satan wants you to focus on one thing. God wants you to focus on another. And so look what he does. Satan puts the man's blindness on display. And some of you are, are grammar nerds, and you're upset that I didn't capitalize Satan. This, I read this in a book years ago, uh, 20, 25 years ago. I read this in a book, and the guy said, I will never honor the enemy of my God by capitalizing devil, Satan. And so I just, I just adopted that. This is what I do. When I'm writing or when I'm typing or whatever, if it says God, capital G, if it says Jesus, capital J, Holy Spirit, capital H, capital S, if it says him talking about Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, I put a capital H. If it says the author and perfecter of our faith talking about Jesus, then I have a capital A and a capital P because I'm going to honor my Lord and Savior, but I will not honor his enemy. So Satan, his enemy... Little guy, I'm not going to, anyway, puts the man's blindness on display. This is so unfair, God. And he wants you looking at the blindness in the thimble. But what does Jesus do? Jesus put God's power on display. And this is why this is a big deal. Whenever you, um, whenever you focus on what's wrong, you lose sight of what God makes right. Whose fault is it is not even the right question because it confuses the issue. Because what if, what if what you think God needs to make right and what the person who's suffering pain, unbelievable uh, situations, what if what they think needs to be made right is not what God, the ocean, thinks needs to be made right? You're going to lose and if you keep focusing on the wrong things, you will hop away from God. So here's the real deal. The real question in the meantime is who is on display in your life? Because someone is on display, and it should be a capital W, who? God. And someone is watching you. 
And so I want to, I'm going to talk to you about this next week and the week after, why I want to remain faithful. Because I don't know if God's going to use me to help lead my grandson into the kingdom of God. Because I told you this a few weeks ago, my, my great uncle led my mom to the Lord. My mom spent 73 years serving in a church. I, I am who I am today because of my great uncle Walt Williamson. You don't know the ripple effect of your life. You don't know what God's doing. Part of the reason we lose the spiritual battle is because we're saying, this is mine, you know, like the, like the seagulls in, in Finding Nemo. Mine, mine, mine. You can't have a God. I don't trust you. You don't do what I ask you to do. I can't trust you. And I think Jesus, I think God's going, what more should I do? You see, in the Old Testament, when, when the Old Testament ends, there's 400 year silence before the New Testament begins. And I believe God, in the Old Testament, God shows his power. He shows his presence. And, and we see that, that we are incapable of living in a covenant with God. That's what the Old Testament shows us. You can't live up to enough rules. You can't be good enough to get into God's presence. And God's thinking, what else do I have to do? And he did something spectacular at the end of those 400 years. He sent Jesus to, to enter into a womb and enter into this world. And by the way, it's coming up in 43 days, whether you're ready or not. What more do I have to do? I've got to send my son. What he couldn't win through power in the Old Testament, he won through a suffering servant named Jesus in the New Testament. And the suffering servant tells you something about this. Look what he says. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up this little bitty life for me, you will find it. See, if God's the ocean and my life is this thimble, how, how do I maintain a walk with God in the midst of difficult times? Jesus said, you take this little bitty life you have and wherever God tells you to, you pour it out where God tells you to. He says, if you pour it out where God tells you to, God will refill it. But if you try to keep it to yourself, even what you have, even the little mist of your life that you have will evaporate and you'll end up a bitter person far from God. So if God tells me to pour out my little life on Sundays, by the way, the Bible says to be, make it a regular habit to be here. If God says, pour out my little life back there working for, with the children in, in, the, in the Sunday, we call it kids church. If God tells me to pour out my mist, I'm going to pour out my mist there. If God says to give 10% of my income, since it's his anyway, I'm going to give 10% of my income. If God says, pour out your little bitty life on Haiti, I'm going to go to Haiti. If God says, pour out your life on Tuesday nights at the landing for teenagers who are going through hurts, habits, and hangups, and, and, and I want to show them that, that life hurts but God heals, then I'm going to pour out a little bit of my mist on Tuesday nights. And by the way, we're going to have a party, uh, a ceremony on December 19th for the landing. There were 20, 25 kids, I don't even know how many, this last week at the landing. And, and Brandy said, some of these kids will not have a regular, they don't have a regular family, so they're not going to have a regular Christmas. Could our church do something? Well, you better believe we're going to do something on Tuesday night, the 19th. And maybe God's calling you to help us out. We're going to, we want to, we want to kind of do our Christmas celebration. We're going to have another hayride. We're going to have another bonfire. If she wants to do that, we're going to pour out the, the mercy and grace and celebration of God with these teenagers because it's the right thing to do. If God says that, that well, some people are going to say, well, my life, it's, it's insignificant. Jesus said even a cup of cold water given to a little child's name is significant. If God tells me to be a greeter or a prayer or a gift, server or to be on security. I'm going to do that. If God tells me to get in community in a small group, let me just tell you real quickly the difference between connection and community. 
Connection can happen on Facebook. We are the most connected people to the internet in history and we are the most inept at social interaction in history because we're going through a screen. Community doesn't happen through a Connection can happen. Community happens face to face. And if God says, you need community, I'm gonna pour out a little bit of my mist in community. In a small group, whether it's men's group, women's group, our women's group's going like crazy, 24, 20, I don't even know. I I can't even remember all the numbers. They're having a great time. They're gonna go do some stuff at the crisis center, wherever God says, because here's the deal, this is it, and then I'm done. God says, if you pour this out, where I, the Lord God, tell you to. I am personally responsible as God to refill it. But if you try to hold on to it, even what you have will disappear. You think it's your money? Oh, no, no, no. God's the source of your income. You think it's your time? Oh, don't you dare tempt God. You think it's your talents? Don't use them and see what happens. God will take them away and he'll gift somebody else who will be obedient. The real question is, who are you displaying in this little bitty life of yours? You are displaying someone. Would you bow your heads? Father, teach us to be an obedient people who serves you with everything we have. Teach us that our days are numbered, that the days are evil, And we need to make the most of the time that we have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.